I would like for us to look at a passage in the Gospel of John that's actually one of my favorites. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. I, without Him, uh, nothing was made. Everything was made through Him. And without Him, nothing that has been made has been made. And in Him was life, and the life was the light of man. What an amazing passage. To the Jewish mind, when uh, they heard that particular passage in the beginning, would hearken back to those passages in Genesis. You remember Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created. And uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, uh, God said, uh, let there be light, and there was light. When we see passages like that, uh, we begin to think of, well now, how are we going to move from the God of the universe to uh, His revelation in His Son, Jesus Christ? Which is what the Bible teaches. But how would minds be prepared over centuries uh, for this eventuality? Uh, as we uh, continue to look uh, in Scripture, uh, there is a passage in uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, and it uh, speaks in the, in the same way, in the same manner. Listen to this. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. When we read a passage like that, of course, we uh, think, well, God has spoken through the prophets, and He's spoken in lots of different ways. Uh, sometimes the prophets would come, of course, and, and they'd say, God said this, God said this. You know the story of uh, Moses being spoken to by God out of a burning bush uh, that was, wasn't consumed. And he took direction from that and actually changed the, the history and the direction of the whole nation of Israel. Uh, we look at a passage uh, in Isaiah chapter 55 and listen what God says about his word. Remembering that in the first chapter of John, in the beginning was the word. And here's what God says about his word to the Jewish mind that has yet to see uh, Jesus Christ as the Messiah at that point in time. So will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter uh, for which I sent it. And so we, we see that God is, God is saying, uh, my word is... is uh, something that is tangible, that can be touched and felt. And, of course, the Jewish mind would begin to think this. And so it, it's, not, uh, it's not so uh, far-fetched that they would begin to say, why can't we see and touch God? How is He going to, be, how is he going to reveal Himself uh, to us? Uh, there was a man uh, by the name of Heraclitus. He was a Greek philosopher. And I'm not going to talk to you too much about philosophy here, so just hang in, okay, for a few minutes. This man, Heraclitus, coined the term, you never step in the same river twice. And I'm thinking, man, I've been in the same creek any number of times. I've fallen off the bridge into the same creek, I, you know, the whole, the whole deal. Uh, what he meant, obviously, was that things are changing, all the time changing. And the flow of the water makes it kind of not the same river. 
But the flow of life is kind of like that too. And the, and the Greeks were puzzled over that. And they were looking at life itself. And uh, some of his friends, of uh, Heraclitus' friends, uh, said things like, well, yeah, but if everything's always changing, then that, what that means is that everything's chaotic. And they argued back and forth uh, about this. And Heraclitus said, uh, no, that, that's not it. The kind of change that we see is ordered change. It seems to have uh, a reason behind it. It seems to have a purpose and direction behind it. All the change that we see seems to be like that. Well, 200 years later, a guy named Plato came on the scene. And uh, you remember Plato and Socrates, and you, you may remember many other uh, philosophers as well. I barely remember their names, much less what they said. But listen to what Plato said. It may be that someday there will come forth from God a word, a logos, who will reveal all mysteries and make everything plain. Now, isn't that remarkable? Here's a Greek philosopher telling God what he should do. And God does it. God does actually that. He prepares uh, the Jewish mind for God's Word by bringing them back to the original Scriptures, the, the, uh, the origin of Scripture. And He prepares the Greek mind by helping fulfill a desire that they have all experienced uh, pretty radically uh, from time to time. The kind of, of question uh, that they would have uh, is... Uh, well, what, what gods are there? And, and who are they? Paul uh, had an encounter with uh, the Greeks in Athens. Acts chapter 17 tells the story. And uh, he began very diplomatically in his, in his talk with them. And he, and he said, uh, I, I noticed that you worship all kinds of gods here. And they would say, mm -hmm, yeah, we're covering all the bases. And uh, he said, yeah, and to that effect, I noticed that you even have a, have a monument an altar to the unknown God. Well, it turns out that they not only had that, but over the centuries since that time, they have found several altars labeled to whomever it may concern. Isn't that kind of crazy? I mean, that is, that is just a wild deal I, that uh, they would have that kind of, that kind of expression uh, to cover their own bases. In Romans chapter 1, uh, verse 20, we read this. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. When you look at a clock on the wall, you know well, not only the time that's passing, but you understand that there was a clockmaker that made the clock. When you look at... Uh, an artist painting on the wall. You not only know that uh, there was an artist behind it, that it didn't organize itself into that painting, uh, but you begin to know a little bit about the artist as well. As the Greeks, as the Romans, as the Jews looked at the world around, they saw his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature uh, that was present uh, in his life. In God's life. I was reflecting on that uh, when I, I discovered the Eagle Nebula. Uh, 
right in the center of the Eagle Nebula is a, a scene that is perhaps uh, more common to you. And if you'd put that up right now for just a moment, uh, you remember this, perhaps from uh, seeing it from the Hubble photographs, etc. And that's, you know, thousands of light years across, uh, traveling at 186,000 miles per hour, no, per second. Thousands and thousands of years to cover the ground that that nebula, portion of that Eagle Nebula covers. And then, if you want to put the other slide back on again, the Eagle Nebula itself, of course, is, is so vast we can't understand it, we can't comprehend it at all. But God is the God that created all this. And in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Everything that has been made was made by Him. We read that same, same statement in Colossians chapter 1 where it says that through Jesus Christ all things hold together because He has built them and made them. We read the same thing in Hebrews chapter 1 where it tells us that He has made the worlds and put them together. And so we begin to see in Jesus Christ who God is. So <clears throat> though the Romans expressed it as to whomever it may concern, or to the unknown God. God Himself has expressed Himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ, so that when we look at Him, we know what He looks like. As a matter of fact, I, one of the disciples of Jesus was with Him for a long period of time, a fellow by the name of Philip. And Philip said, just kind of out of frustration one day, Jesus, just show us the Father. Just, just show us who God is. There's a hunger and a curiosity in man. We want to see and touch and feel, don't we? In order to know it's for real, that it's really present. And Jesus looked at him and kind of sorrowfully said this, He who has seen me, Philip, has seen the Father. Now that's an outrageous statement, isn't it? Unless, of course, it's absolutely true. And Jesus demonstrated... Over and over again. As a matter of fact, let me read a passage out of John chapter 20 to you. I, just the, the last few verses in that chapter. And it speaks to this effect. Uh, John chapter 20. Um, let's see. Verses 30 and 31. Uh, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. Jesus came to give us life. As a matter of fact, He says, I've come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Our curiosity is such that Pascal called it a vacuum in the heart of every man that needs to be filled, but can't be filled by any created thing, but only by the Creator made known by God in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. A remarkable answer to man's quest for filling that void uh, in his life. In John uh, chapter... Um, 10, I think it is, verse 28. Let me turn back there and see if I've got the right passage in mind. Where Jesus says this, And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, 
and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Rob spoke of that security problem. <laughs> I remember one time being in a, uh, a parking lot and, and uh, a, you know, a guy came up and just yelled and screamed at us for no particular reason that I could figure out. My wife came home one day from the same parking lot and she said that she parked her car and she got out and a guy confronted her right there and started yelling and screaming and swearing at her. And I said, oh, I wish I had been there. And she said, no, you don't. If you'd have been there, you'd have been in jail now. <laughs> you know, this, this, this kind of thing where, where we can't provide the security we want for our loved ones. We want to provide that for them. I, I talked to a, a man that grew up, didn't grow up in this county, but had a, had a company here in this uh, county for a long period of time. He woke up one night, that is, his wife poked him in the ribs, and he woke up and there was a man standing at the foot of their bed. And she got up and he started running, and they, she chased the guy out of the house. And when, he, when she, by the time she came back, he was going, what was going on? What happened? You know, and he said to me, you know, he's a big guy, 6'4", several hundred pounds. And he said, so much for being the protector. <laughs> and isn't that the case, that we find ourselves in an insecure position in life? We not only don't know the answers, but we don't know the one that knows. Even though he has revealed himself to us in all that he has made, and put together. So God has taken it further. And in the fullness of time, we read in the Gospels, in the fullness of time, Jesus was born. You remember, He became flesh and dwelt among us. A remarkable story that unfolds in the Gospel of John itself. If it wasn't for the person of Jesus Christ, we would know what about the Father. We would know certainly about His power, and obviously about his complexity, way beyond our ability to understand. We understand that he's beyond time, that he's the one that made time, created time. All of our words, of course, are time-bound words, aren't they? That's why all of our verbs are past tense or present tense or future tense. You can't say anything that isn't time-bound. But God says that he'll give us eternal life. But he also says this, that life is found in his Son. Not outside of his Son, but in his Son. In, uh, uh, near the end of your Bible, in 1 John chapter 5, uh, there's an interesting passage that kind of explains this, uh, at least to me, uh, in a way that I can understand uh, a little bit better. Verse 11 of chapter 5 of 1 John. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. The kind of life that He gives us, He doesn't just say, now you're going to live eternally, now you're going to live eternally, now you're going to live eternally, and change your physical mechanisms so that they'll work through eternity. But that life is actually in Him who He places in you. That life, eternal life, is found in His Son. And that's where we gain eternal life. Now, I don't understand how God and His Spirit can come and indwell our lives. But Paul questioned people. He said, what? Don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? You've been bought with a price, he says. You remember bought with a price. Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. 
Paul wrote again, He that had no sin was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. A remarkable progression, again, of God's revelation to man. When we were ready to hear, ready to understand, ready to believe, and ready to walk forward with the kind of explanation that God has given us in Himself, He revealed Himself so that we could actually touch and see and hear from God. Well, He's not only the bearer of life to us, He's not only the one that has given us life, but He's also the light of the world. In Him was life, and this life was the light of man. Jesus said in in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. You remember that? And uh, if you walk in me, you won't be walking in darkness. Wow. That's quite a, a... Boy, that's an amazing promise to be able to not walk in darkness any longer. Light is, is such an interesting, uh, uh, what would we call it, a commodity? Some people sell it, I guess. Uh, you don't have to purchase sunlight, well, up here occasionally. But most of the time, you know, light is free. I mean, what kinds of things uh, happen with light? I, I know that going from a dark room to a bright sunlight, my eyes hurt. It just really hurts. I suspect that as the disciples occasionally walked into Jesus' presence, their eyes hurt too. You remember one time on the Sea of Galilee, they were rocking and rolling in the waves and they woke Jesus up. Don't you care if we perish? And he quieted the wind and the waves and, and they said, what manner of man is this? In fear. Light can be startling and can cause fear as well. It's ironic because it's only there that we'll find the security that God offers to us. It's only in His presence that we'll find peace. True peace is absence of conflict with the Father, with God. That's what true peace is. As we have that, we'll want to be in peace with all of mankind. And so Jesus does bring peace. In Matthew chapter 5, Kind of a sequel to Jesus' statement uh, in, in John chapter 8 where he says, I am the light of the world. There's something curious that goes on here that's a little hard uh, for me in some ways. Because it's a challenge that comes to me. It's a challenge that uh, when you talk to some of the missionaries that are here, you may feel, or you may have felt already, uh, as you've heard uh, people talk about missions and going and those kinds of things. Those words are really kind of threatening in some ways. Listen to this. Jesus is talking to his disciples. This is his Sermon on the Mount. He's, he's finished many of the blesseds. You know, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the gentle. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He goes on. And after that, he, he says to the disciples, you're the salt of the earth. And then he says something absolutely astounding. Considering that he has said, I am the light of the world. Then he says to us, you are the light of the world. What? How can this be? What he means is the life that he puts in you is the light. That's the light. That's where it comes from. It doesn't come from things I do or things I say, my performance, my, uh, you know, leaving my comfortable things and going to Africa. That's not what it comes from. And it's not that they don't need light in those places. 
We're desperate for light everywhere. We're desperate for light in political administrations, aren't we? We're desperate for light in, in surgeons' minds. Uh, we're desperate for light if you're a, a student, you know. Uh, you're desperate for light before you take a test. You want to know and to understand these things to the extent that it, it uh, brings to you uh, the importance of who God is in our life. It brings to us the immediate presence of God in our life. Without that, um, boy, we, we have a, a real problem. Because we go through life trying to arrange circumstances and situations to fit us so that we feel comfortable. I don't know anywhere in Scripture that it says God wants you to feel comfortable. That could be a disappointment. I've, I've heard it said differently. God doesn't say anywhere that He wants you to be happy. As a matter of fact, if we truly live in a fallen world, which is what the rest of the book of Genesis talks about, um, then happiness is kind of... It's icing on the cake when it comes. But it's not the cake. The cake is doing the will of God. Wanting to do what He wants us to do. Listen to this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's the prequel to the passage that we read together earlier. Where it says we have this treasure in jars of clay. Listen to this. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. He's the one that has put within us the ability to shine. And again, it's not our light. It's actually His light that begins to shine out of our lives. It's interesting that just following that, He says, but we have this light in earthen vessels. Cracked pots, if you will. And that's indeed what we are. We're all damaged. Not any of us are perfect. You remember those passages of Scripture where, where God says, I want you to be holy as I am holy. I want you to be perfect as I am perfect. And we're thinking, forget that. It's a, not only an impossibility, it's totally improbable. It, it, it just cannot take place. The minute I think I'm perfect, I'm not humble. Consequently, I've blown it again. Not only do we do major things that detract from perfection, but we do minor things that ruin perfection just as much. So we have this light in, in jars of clay. And I was thinking about that in relationship to being a missionary. By that definition, having this light in jars of clay, you're missionaries. The, the question is, can people see the light that's coming through the cracks in your life? Well, <laughs> if you're like me, we try very hard to hide the cracks. We, we, we don't want to be um, seen as someone that has just a, you know, a cracked life. We try to be together. Uh, we try to look good. We cover ourselves with clothes to make ourselves look good. We spend time in front of the mirror to try to look good. 
But is that dressing up the light that God wants to shine out of your life? Is that really what people can see in your life? Well, (laughs) if Jesus Christ is the light of the world, and, and He is, there's no doubt about it, When we spend time with Jesus Christ, we see empathy and compassion. We see patience, don't we? We see self-control. We see meekness. A fellow told me one time that the best definition of of meekness is seeing a a huge workhorse that's pulling something along. And and when when you stand on the ground next to them, you know, their back is right up here. Those great big workhorses. And uh, you, you see them as incredible power, but it's under control. That's meekness. Jesus Christ is like that. Powerful? Look. But under control. If you had that kind of power, I'd be afraid to be in the same room, the same universe. Because we're broken people. It is broken people that God calls to be missionaries to your kids, to your husband, to your wife, to your relatives, even to your next door neighbor. This is who God is calling us to, and we are His missionaries. That call might extend further. You you may... Find a, find a burden in your, in your life, developing and growing, growing big to, to uh, go somewhere. But until that light is shining out of the cracks in your own life right now, you should stay put until you examine yourself and figure out what it is that God wants you to do. Does He want you to shine out in your neighborhood? Absolutely. Does He want you to shine before Men before women, yes. That's his aim. It's a treasure. Only God could put it there. And he says, that's what I will do in your life. To those that received him, to them gave he the power to become the children of God, even to those that believe on his name. Opening your life to Jesus Christ means that the cracks will begin to show It's really okay. That's an okay thing. Because His light shines in our weakness. And then when we're weak, ironically, we're strong. Let me close with prayer. Father, I thank You for Your graciousness to us, Your love for us. Uh, The amazing things You have done in our life that have prepared us to walk the way You want us to walk. Amazing things you've done in history. Uh, Prepared different cultures, minds, and thinking to accept you as you come. Help us, Father, to uh, fill that void in our lives with you and not to be afraid to walk the way you want us to walk and not be afraid of where you'll lead us. Help us not to be afraid to speak to our neighbors. Help us not to be afraid to be helpful to them as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.